This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's going to be special. We're going to talk specifically about really two things today. And I have an expert. I mean, like a real expert on a talk. I'm going about leadership. And we're going to talk about elite performance, performance in general. And the gentleman that I have on the show today has written a brand new book that I love. It's called Uncommon Leadership, 11 Ways Great Leaders Lead. In fact, I love it so much, I wrote the foreword. <laughs> so, so if you wonder whether I love this man, what he stands for and what he teaches, you need to look no further than his book because I'm right there with him. So Ben Newman, welcome to the program. Ed, uh, my brother, you know how much uh, you mean to me and the opportunity to be with you. And I'm so grateful for you writing the foreword and just couldn't be any more excited to be with you and your listeners. Let's have a great time. I know it's going to be easy for us to cut up together. I don't have to prepare for this one at all because we're good friends. And I got to tell you guys, the thing you know about Ben is not only is he remarkable, but he's worked with some of the top leaders in business and sports in the world. And so he's got he's got some insights that you know really nobody I've had on the show before can give you. And so there's a lot to unpack with you, brother. Um, first off, his book is blowing up, just so you all know. And if you get a chance, go get it. You'll you'll be glad that you did. But I, I want to ask you a question just to begin with on the leadership side, because we'll do leadership and performance today. You work with some of the top leaders in every single industry. If you guys don't know, he's the performance coach for Alabama, their football program. I read this. Is this right, Ben? 18 national championships. Is that right? 18 national championships. And and I, I've been there four years, which is a long tenure for somebody with Coach Saban. So I feel blessed every time I'm in the building. What have you learned from him? I gave you a couple takeaways. What separates him? He's you know, I've had Davo Sweeney on my show recently. Urban Meyer's a dear friend, so I'm not going to rank these guys. But, you know, he's in the conversation as the GOAT, if not the GOAT. What have you learned from him that maybe surprised you when you got up close and personal? Three words. Be the example. Hmm. And whether it's the game of football, whether somebody's leading in a boardroom, whether somebody's leading in a classroom, I believe that you have to be the example. And Coach Saban is knocking on the door of 70 years old. And I actually go to training camp here in two days, my fourth training camp with the team. And you will see him sprint in between drills. Really? Not like walk fast, Ed. I'm talking okay. sprint in between drills. If your 70-year-old head coach is sprinting in between drills, what's the expectation of the player? So he believes you have to be the example to lead the people that really for him, he believes it's a blessing to have the opportunity to lead these young men. Yeah, now that's incredible. By the way, maybe I need to be sprinting in my business meetings. I need to do it. <laughs> but, but the other thing you were sharing with me about him, obviously standards. I think people think they have high standards. Like I thought I trained really hard until I started training with world-class <clears throat> bodybuilders and athletes. And I'm like, okay, compared to what? And oftentimes I'll have business people say, hey, man, I work really hard. I usually say, hey, come spend a couple of days with me. Let's see how hard you work, right? But in his case, you were telling me something about, he said about, we were going to do this drill. We were going to practice this. Not until we get it right, but it, I even higher standard than that. You entrepreneurs, you business people, you athletes, listen to what he's going to tell you is Saban's standard that he's learned. Yeah, so the standard is, and if everybody were to come to practice with me next week you would, or this week, you would hear him say, we don't do things until we get it right. We do things until we can't get it wrong. Gosh, it, it, it's mind-blowing. And oftentimes his messages are so simple yet they're so profound. And he's a master of saying something that applies to everyone. 
You know, a lot of times, even me, and I'll get a little long-winded, right? I like to yep. talk. Yes. And he will say things that are simple, yet it applies to the walk-on who may never see time on the field all the way to Bryce Young will be our new, uh, you know, starting quarterback this year. I mean, it's incredible the discipline that he has to understand how to communicate. How does he, and we won't talk about Saban the whole time, but you've seen this leaders. One of the things that leaders get, I call it like leadership fatigue. They're always trying to come up with new things all the time to say, rather than, I think leadership's about finding new ways to say old things. And so how does he, that standard's nuts. Like, the whole world has Alabama's target, right? The target is on Alabama's back from the entire world. What does he do? That standard of, we're going to do this until we can't get it wrong. What does that look like? Is it intensity? Is it yelling? Is it do it again? Is it do it again? Is it encouragement? Is it all of the above? Does he push every emotional button? How do you do that? You know, it really starts with off-season training, right? There's an expectation. Here's the way that we do our off-season training. So if somebody goes off-sides, let's say we're in February, and we're in our fourth quarter training. That's conditioning, right? Is everybody listening? Conditioning in February for football games that are going to be played in the fall. And you just probably won a national championship in January. And if somebody goes offside, Ed, he's the first one to blow the whistle, hands on his knees saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. If you go offsides in this drill in February, it's a 10-yard penalty in November, and it might cost us the game. And so he's conditioning his athletes to not just physically perform, but to understand that you have to think about your actions. So he combines the mental and the physical to allow athletes to realize how much they really have deep down inside. So do you, by the way. I want to, And it segues perfectly. So the mental and the physical, I get asked often, you know, what are some of the keys to staying positive, optimistic, high energy. For me, a lot of times it starts with my body and my routines. What I said about Ben in the foreword of his book is Ben is the example. He's incredibly ritualistic and disciplined in his approach, particularly in what he does sort of in the mornings too. And the long shift, like your streak of doing <laughs> bananas. So give us some insights because you've been around the top guys. So you've sort of formatted, formulated sort of a routine that you do in the mornings that I'm sure some of this is adopted from people that you've known that are elite performers. Tell them a little bit about your routines and your disciplines and your consistency with them and why you are so consistent. Well, first off, let me, let me share a compliment to you and something I'm, I'm very grateful for um, to you. And then I, I will get to the question. Sure. But I, I think the first thing is I have two coaches. I read books every single day. So, and I have mentors. That means I'm a really high maintenance guy. So I, I am, I am far from figuring this out. And so I'm constantly trying to find what can my edge be? How can I get better? Whether I'm at Alabama, whether I'm working with a billion dollar construction company, I don't want to settle. I'm never finished. I always feel like we can give more. And during COVID, I was blessed that you and our dear friend, Andy Frisella invited me to speak at an Arte event. Yeah. And we get done with the Arte event. And the three of us had this question and answer that I will never forget. Awesome. And you said some things to me that shifted the belief that I had in myself, Ed. And I, I shared this with you privately, but I want to go public because I think it's important. I appreciate the kind things that you say, but I'm a big believer that you have to set yourself up for your environment. So whether it's consistency in when you wake up, what you eat, how you think, what you feed your mind... And this is what I call a never do it again list. <clears throat> so this never do it again list, if everybody looks down 
at number 11, okay? You can see Ed's name in number 11. And so after I completed the first part of 75 hard, I actually wrote a never do it again list because I wanted to capture, now that I understand this next level of my thinking, what are the things I can't go back to? And so I wanted to train my, my brain. If I found this next level, I better be conscious of the fact I can go back. It's way easier to go back than it is to create a new discipline. And so I wrote these words after you instilled belief in me. And I believe one of the greatest acts of leadership is a transfer of belief. And you changed how I feel and how I show up. Wow. So every day I say, never forget the belief Ed Milet shared with me. His words and statement shifted my belief. Ed, I read that every day. And so you're, you're in my morning routine. I knew every that and I'm honored. Thank you for telling everybody else, man. I appreciate that. I, Thank you. And I know I share that with you, but I wanted to go public with that because I think sometimes people see somebody that performs like you or people will say, wow, you know, I perform at a high level. But this is what it's about. It's about surrounding yourself with people who push you and challenge you to say, no, 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 you're not done. Yeah. And so it's been environments, you know, it's working out. If we know that working out causes us to release our endorphins, to feel great about ourselves, to feel confident, why would you choose to not work out? Mm. So for me, that's been a big part of my morning routine, whether it be working out, putting my head in a book that means a great deal to you and I every single morning, yeah. you know, preparing our team who helps me get to the next level. I don't do this by myself. Yeah. We, have a, we have a great team. And so there's a very disciplined routine that I believe causes me to show up when you hear that ding, ding, ding for the day to start, and I'm ready to take it on mentally. If you bring me adversity, I'll run right at it. You bring bananas level energy to stuff you do. And I, I want people to get some insight. Is that something you have to work at? I mean, are you conscious like, okay, I'm about to do a show. I'm about to give a talk. I'm about, to, I'm bringing monster energy or... Is that something you're naturally just, that's just the way you're wired? Why do I ask? Before you answer, I want to ask, tell everybody why I asked that. I don't think most con people are conscious that you are always making people feel something one way or the other. And most people are completely oblivious to what they're making people feel. They're not only not self-aware, they're not even aware of what they're making other people feel, the energy that they put up. So is this just you or is this something you've worked on to build that is now you? And this, this is me. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I've never told this story in an interview. And this may, this may have to do with the fact that I, a buddy of mine is raising money for an illness that his daughter struggles from. So it's top of mind because it just happened. And he set me up with this interview in Chicago. I'm talking over 20 years ago. And I go to this interview and I get done. And his boss interviews me. And the feedback was, this guy was way too prepared. That was fake. There's no way anybody has this energy. And it was very ADP. And my, my buddy said to his boss, he's like, that's him. Like, that, mm. that's the way the dude was in high school. Like, he's mm. just wired that way. Awesome. And the guy goes, no possible way he put on a show for me. Mm. And, and so for me, it's one of those things. That's the way that I've always been. And I think a lot of it comes from my belief. And I had to go through a lot of pain and challenge in my life to understand this. We only get one day. I've got the day that's in front of me. So for me to waste it, and look, my days aren't perfect. I have challenge. I screw up. I try to be the best husband I can be. I try to be the best father I can be. I try to be the best. doesn't mean I'm perfect and I don't mess things up, but I've only got one shot every day and I'm going to bring my best. Everyone listening to this, 
I want you to start to ask yourself, what do I make people feel when they're around me? Because Ben makes you a lot of things. One-on-one, I'll just tell you in a group, he brings great energy, brings belief. Ben has an ability to make people feel good about themselves, to have belief. This is something that all great people have. I'm just telling you. And you, you can have that when you're quiet. You can do it with a look. You can do it with a glance. You can do it with a text. You can do it with an email. You can do it with a video, spoken word. But you need to start to harness a little bit more the control and the awareness of what you're making other people feel when you're in business, sports, family, every aspect of your life. So I want to ask you about this. There's this thing beneath there for you that no one's ever phrased this way that you phrase the best, which is the burn. And this is when I think of you, I think of a good man. I think of discipline. I think of somebody I love. And then I think of the burn. It's the kind of the next thing that I think of with you. And I, for my audience, who's not familiar with you, or even people who think they know what that means, what's the burn and why is it so important that people figure that out? So I believe there's a a lot of speakers and coaches that do work that we do. And they spend a lot of time talking about why and purpose, which are incredibly significant and important. But I believe they forget the underlying burn or fire that lies inside of everybody. And it's actually that burn that ignites your why and your purpose that then causes you to take the necessary action to be your best one day at a time. And that's how I define winning. Whether I'm working with somebody one-on-one for coaching, whether it's a big corporation, whether it's Alabama football, Kansas State football, I just want people to look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, today I gave it my very best. And in the morning, I was connected to that fire that caused me to pursue that. And that fire comes from challenge and adversity that you've been through. It could come from pain. It could come from loss. It could come from somebody who's made a sacrifice for you to have opportunity in your life all the way to it might be something short term that you want to fight for in your current state. Because many people may not be through the adversity and challenge that I've been through. And a lot of it I would never wish upon anybody. But it might be this short term. I'm going to attack this which gives me this burn that ignites everything else. Mm. And some people, most people know what this is. And I remember the same Arate event. It was a blessing for me to warm up the stage for our friend Marshall Fall. And I had asked you and Andy, like, can I stay on to listen to Marshall? And if you remember, you forced Marshall. You were like, Marshall, don't be humble. Talk about the the room of the room of the room of the room that you're in in the Hall of Fame. And if you remember, he said... Ed, there was always something just in my belly. He's like, I don't even know what you call it. It's just it. There's just, it's it. And it's in my belly. And I had to do something with it every day. And you guys don't know this, but I was yelling at the screen. It's the burn, Marshall. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think a lot of people, they know it's there, but I don't know if people understand the importance of connecting to it. Yes. Yes, exactly. What do you mean by that? Yes, exactly. Dang it. So <laughs> once again, back to environment, okay? Mm-hmm. Many people may or may not know, you can actually name your alarm. So my alarm, I actually, I don't put it by my bed. Why would you condition yourself to put something as important as what's going to help you get up in a place where it's easy for you to make an excuse, right? Love so it. my phone is across in another room for two reasons. Number one, I have to physically get out of bed. And number two, Amy's going to kill me if that goes off for too long. So <laughs> I, am, I am sprinting to turn that thing off. Mm. And the first thing I see on the screen is my mother's name, Jan Fishman Newman. Mm. 
My mother passed away 11 days before my eighth birthday. So my fire, if the first thing I see is Jan Fishman Newman, you think I'm hitting that snooze button? When I'm 42 years old, my mother passed away at 38. I've been given four extra years, one day at a time. You think I'm going to hit that snooze button? And so for me, I've conditioned myself to connect to what drives me to recognize you will not make an excuse. Man. See, I knew about mom, but I didn't know the phone piece of it. I didn't know that. And then, and then I'll, I'll share with you. It's actually right, to, right here, seeing journal. Once again, it's all the environment that we set up. So one of the other things I do every morning, this is my burn, my burn journal. I write down Janet Fishman Newman legacy, uncommon amongst the uncommon. So one of the first things I do is I literally write. So it, to me, it's not enough. This is not easy. I think people want to hit the easy button in everything that we do. We have to condition our minds. Mental toughness is not easy. People think, oh, I, I have mental toughness. You have to condition your mind. Your mind is the most powerful weapon that you have. It's a muscle. So, Ed, you and I, we can work out our muscles. Right. But the reality is this is a muscle that far too often people don't condition that muscle. So I've conditioned it to see my mother's name, but then I've conditioned it to write down and to deeply connect to the burn. Once I do those two things, it's go time. Man, unpack a few things there. Oh my gosh. I knew today was good, brother, but there we go. So one is the phone away from the bed. I do the same thing. Most people don't. Forces me to get up. I'm not going to walk all the way back and get into the bed. Number two, mom's name on there and the burn. Put your burn somewhere where you can see it all the time. The third thing is conditioning it. I've, I've not talked about that enough, and I'm grateful that you said it. Just You got to do it over and over and over again, guys. It's not a one-time thing. But you said something earlier in it, too, about most people just don't connect to their burn. If it's a pain from a childhood or something they really want, I think they're afraid to get too emotional about it. And that's the very thing that causes you not to take the crazy actions you're going to have to take to get it. You're going to have to connect to that burn because that's bigger than whatever the pain or adversity is that you're going to go through. So that's so awesome, bro. So, so, so good right there. Practical, applicable strategies. Why would you write the book? You could have written about anything. And Uncommon Leadership is what it's titled. But why'd you do this? What, what compelled you to do it? What did you learn and study in these people? So, you know, the, the interesting thing, and I say this very, very humbly, it wasn't just the study of these people. It was the study of these 11 uncommon individuals in my work with these 11 uncommon individuals. Yes. So it's different, right? I didn't, I didn't research people. Mm. I was able to say, here was an opportunity for me to learn from some amazing people. And I always like to pay attention and lock in. So these are, this is one of the reasons why for me, let me go back to morning routine briefly before we attack this. Morning routine is so important. I can knock out 90% of what I need to get done in a day before six o'clock in the morning. I wake up very, very early. By six o'clock in the morning, 90% is done. So when Ed gives me an invitation to come and spend time with him, and his, and his followers, I am locked in. I'm not worried about something else I need to be doing. So I always make sure I get my stuff done and I'm organized so I can be where my feet are with the individual that I'm with. So whether it's a team, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching. So what that's caused me to do is I pay attention to these lessons. So I wanted to give back to these 11 individuals that have had a huge impact on my life that I've watched help me become better every single day. 
So it's not an autobiography about me. It's me highlighting 11 lessons from 11 uncommon individuals that I believe are that example of what it means to be great in your pursuit every day. Do they have anything in common, all of them? I would say the be the example, right? They're mm -hmm. all an example. They show up and they do what they say they're going to do. They also believe at a very high level in others. They're not fighting to do things by themselves. They believe in others and they recognize that great teams win with a great group of individuals. It's not just one person. And then I think the last thing is they're all uncommon. As you'll see, there's, there's yeah. different lessons that they teach yep. that are a little bit different. Some of them, maybe you haven't quite heard it, the way that they teach it, right? So they're they're unique in how they show up. So good. Let's talk a little bit about leadership for a minute because I promised everybody we'd kind of go both ways. We started there, then we went to sort of personal habits. So there's one is the, obviously being the example, the believing in people. But if I want to develop leaders, so I'm a parent, I'm listening to this. I want my children to be leaders. I'm a coach. I'm an entrepreneur and I want to develop my squad, my team, my, my, my leadership group. What would be a couple of things you would say to be conscious of? I mean, there's a million things, right? Everybody's got these topics, but that you've studied, that you've, you know, that you've sort of distilled down and say, hey, listen, if you've not developed great leaders before, check these things right here. Here's some stuff. What would you say? You know, there's so two things. Number one, I had the opportunity to do work for a $7 billion solutions team from Microsoft. Wow. And one of the things that the leader of this unit, when he hired me years ago, he said, we fail fast and we fail forward. And he said, here's why. Microsoft is one of the greatest, if not the greatest technology company in the world. We could work on something for six months and the moment we release it, it's old, old news, got to go on to something else. So they condition themselves. When you face challenge and adversity, you move right through it. So he had actually trained his team. It was about 350 people, U.S. and Canada, each leader, 12 leaders, led about 30 to 40 individuals. And so for those individuals, he helped them understand, you've got to fight through that adversity and you must fail forward. Mm. The second thing that I would share, and this is research that I did on Max Weber, spelled Weber, W-E-B-E-R. He's one of the fathers of sociology. And I'm kind of an old school guy. And I think you're the, you're the same, man. Like you could yell at guys like us, get in my face and say, you need to give more. And I can take it. I can, I've been through so much in my life and what I saw with these two eyes before I turned eight, I can take that. Many people can't. And what Weber walks you through is the research of the difference of power versus authority. Power is when you force or coerce somebody to do your will. Authority is when you inspire or empower somebody to choose what you know they should choose to be successful. So from that research I developed, and this is very applicable for anybody leading anybody, whether it's somebody in your home to whether you're coaching your kids' teams and somebody in a boardroom, it's questions over statements. Mm. My naturalness, because I can handle it, is I'm going to make a statement, Ed, go do this. And I realized quickly on my journey, my leadership journey, which is still continuing sure. every day, that didn't work as well as if I asked. Hey, Ed, you know, I recognize three months ago you were on fire. Now, let's assume that, that you're challenged in, in your growth. Ed, three months ago, you were on fire. How have you been showing up today 
compared to when you had that amazing quarter, first quarter of 2021? Oh, that's a great question. I was doing X, I was doing Y, I was doing Z. Okay, awesome. Like, I remember that, Ed. I remember your energy. I remember your, your passion. I could feel it. How are you currently showing up compared to your behaviors and disciplines in the first quarter? Oh my gosh, it's, I feel I'm a little bit off. Okay, well, Ed, what do you think would happen if you stopped tripping on what's behind you and you decided when you finish today, you're going to finish with what those behaviors were that performed at your highest level and tomorrow you come back and we keep stacking days. Ed, what would happen then? Mm. And then now Ed says, oh, thank you for the amazing conversation. I'm going to go do that. I walked you right into what you knew the answers were. What's the, what's the, the easy button is, and I can't believe this. I've seen you perform. This is ridiculous. You're not going to make it here if you keep showing up like this. Mm-hmm. So you need to go hammer the phone or maybe this isn't for you. Oh. And so, so you learn it's more oh. empowering to let, and if somebody chooses the behavior, they're more likely to do it. Even if what you're telling them to do is actually what they should do. That's a takeaway for me on authority. Very good. The other thing is, I think when you are a, in a position of command, it's easy just to make these statements because you can kind of get away with them. And as you've said, it's just easier. It's easier. That's so good, Ben. That is so flipping good. Let me ask you a question. It's something that I'm going to confess to my audience that's going to surprise everybody, but I want your opinion about this and how stern you are about it. I spent the last, I would say, 25 years of my life by a rule, which is that I don't gossip. Mm. I, just, I just don't. It's I, I feel like I need a shower or a bath after I do it. I feel like it immediately <laughs> reduces me and my identity. And um, I was very disciplined about it. This last year, I was in a couple of different environments where I stood that ground. I would say I would say I was a 10 out of 10 at that the majority of my life. And I would say this last year, I was in a couple of different environments where I was around people who didn't adhere to that standard. And at some point, I think I dropped to a seven myself where I would listen to it and maybe I'd trickle in my own two cents, just a dash. And in looking back on it now, I've sort of made it, you know, you make a new standard commitment. I just go, I'm not doing that. I didn't do it for 25 years. We all have the, what you said earlier is so brilliant that you can slip back. You can go back when you have a standard. One of the keys to my success has honestly been over 25 years is I don't gossip or talk bad about other people. Even when I have those feelings, I just don't share them. How are you on that? In other words, you've been in teams. You get into a locker room, all these egos. One dude starts talking bad about another dude. That can destroy a culture in a locker room, but also can destroy an individual when they do it. How do you feel about that? What advice would you give if people are sitting there going, you know, I I do gossip about other people, or I do listen to gossip about other people. How detrimental do you think that is to someone's performing at their best standard? Well, Couple of, couple of things here to unpack. First thing is, that's actually what I'm responsible for with these teams, mm. right? When I'm on the sideline for a team, I'm looking for somebody who dropped the interception, his head is hanging low, right? I'm on the sideline to say, hey, is the guy who's second or third string who wants the first string's job, are they bickering, right? Saying, hey, I should have his job. I should be one on the field right now. Look at him. So that's actually what my responsibility is to these teams because culture wins. When you have a strong culture and everybody believes in each other and you support the man in front of you, knowing if you stay ready and God forbid something happens, whether it's one play 
or God forbid, a season-ending injury, I come in ready with enthusiasm. If you're moaning and complaining, you're mentally not ready. If somebody goes down and you need to come in for three downs, you're not ready. And so that's what I'm there for. And so culture wins. And so I look for those things and I've been trained, you go and have direct conversations. Now, I'm not going to embarrass somebody. I'm going to pull somebody aside and say, hey, we need to support and love each other. If we plan on hitting the objectives that we have, yep. starting with attacking the 60 minutes in this football game today. Go, yeah. And, and, and you have to be direct. Second thing I would say, and this is really for you, I could feel a difference in your energy. And I'm sure everybody else did too. When you just explained how you felt as a, literally you move forward and you, you said, I'm almost a 10 out of 10. When your face came forward, you know, you're better when you're at a 10 out of 10, not gossiping. Yep. When you said a seven out of 10, it was almost hard for you to say it. Disgusting. Your yep. communication, you're disappointed in yourself. Yeah. So once again, questions over statements, Ed, which do you want? Do you want to be the 10 or do you want to be the seven? What's going to make the, you show up better? Yeah, I want to be the 10 and I am the 10. And that's why I share this with, I, I when I'm doing interviews and I'm with someone that I trust and that I admire, like I do you, I'll, I'll, I'm typically slightly more vulnerable. And I look at my game of my life. You know, what are the things I've been good at that are kind of secret things that we don't actually ever talk about? And one for me was I just kept pure of thought, pure of word about others for unbelievable length of time. And let me say this to everybody, too. Through some times where people did far worse things than the stuff I listened to recently, I was it was worse things that happened. I would never transfer that. If you're someone who's listening to gossip or participating in gossip, you are not going to win. Your team is not going to win. Your family is not going to win. You need to avoid it, run from it. And, and be better than it and rise above it. So that's why I share that today. It's part of, it's part of this culture stuff that we're, that we're referring to today. All right, we talked about routines. How about an evening tip? So my routine is mainly morning focus. I'll be candid. I think sort of like you. I'm an early riser. I want to, if I can get to win that first part of my day, I feel like there's a high probability I'm going to win the middle, right? And probably the end. Are there things you do as your day winds down that you think are worthy of sharing with everybody here? So I'm going to rock the boat a little bit here on this one, but I, I think you, you might be on my side of the fence here. Mm -hmm. You know, if anybody really follows Ed, you see awesome memories with Bella. You see him inviting Bella and her friends. They're out on the boat. They're going to dinners. They're enjoying their favorite things. It's you and Max on the golf court. It's you and Christiana traveling together. So you believe that balance does exist. That would be that would be my belief as I watch your behavior and as I love how you show up every day. Thank you. That's a great example for me. And it's something I've always believed. I actually have a bookend to my days. I don't have meetings at seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, because if I do that and I never turn it off, my family doesn't get my time. There is no balance in my life. And I believe that you will not perform at your highest level. I think the world has been conditioned. I'm going to grind 36 hours a day and I'm just going to grind. I understand where that comes from, mm -hmm. but I would offer this as an example or something, an opportunity, I should say. Mm -hmm. Try actually giving your family your unconditioned love and mindset. Now, given my mind might wander, there's something, you know, we got a big game coming up or I'm working on, there's a big talk or something. So I may sometimes my mind will wander and I'll take a note. I'm not perfect here. Yeah. But I do my best to have a bookend. And so when I'm home, because I travel as much as I do, my day's over at 530, no later. Hmm. 
And I've done that for years. Now, mm. in the event, there's something that does sure. come up it's this year, every now and again, but it's become a standard for me. I love to cook for the family. And it actually, for me, it slows me down. So at 5.30, if I start cooking, I'm relaxing. What does everybody want to eat? We enjoy a meal around the table together. That makes us better. Yeah. And so I get up early so that I don't have to work until seven or eight at night. So greatness takes sacrifice. You have to sacrifice something if you want balance. The easy way is to follow the lead. And I'm, I'm going to be a little bit direct here because I care that much about the people listening. People easily follow the lead of the person who has no discipline and has no balance because that's easier. Hey, I don't, I'll work out when I work out. I'll do because they're not disciplined in their own lives. Yet, if you want to be disciplined and have others lead and be the example, you have got to make sacrifice somewhere. So for me, all the way back to when I was a financial advisor years ago, I had clients, Ed, I'm talking clients making a million dollars a year. And I used to meet people at the Cigar Club at the Ritz. And they would literally joke with me. I'm talking about people, they were huge clients. And they'd say, Ben, it's 515. I know you're leaving. You're about to get the bill. <laughs> That's awesome. and, and so it's, they would make fun of me, Ed. But they actually respected they it. They respected it. They knew they're like, this guy literally is going home at 530. Mm -hmm. I could talk to him about something else for business, but he promised his family he was going to be home. Yeah. And so I believe if you want balance, you have to build balance and believe that you can have it. I know it's a long-winded answer. but No, it's powerful it's because... Because one Ben Ben is up so early and trains so regimented that I think it's wonderful that you share your recuperation time that you're not a robot. It took me years to start to read. People say I think you're Superman or a robot. You're not even human, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I like Cheetos too, you know, and I like TV, <laughs> and I take time off. So I love that you share that. Number one, but number two, again, people will listen and go, oh, well, hey, Ben Newman said I'm done at five thirty, so I'm done at five thirty. That's not what he said. What he actually said was. He gets up extra early, makes that sacrifice where his day begins so much earlier than most people, gets so much done by 6 a.m. that he can have that for his family. He's eating it for his family at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> He's getting up or whatever time he gets up that day so that he can have this. And so it's a trade-off. I love how granular and detailed we're getting because that's it's one of the things that most people wouldn't know about you or me is that I do recuperate. I do rest. I'm much I show up present because of it I we're all human and if we're just depleting ourselves all the time we're not effective and eventually we'll burn out me and Ben been at this a long time right and one of the reasons one of the things longevity demands is some form of recuperation and a separation from the grind so to speak that's how you do stuff 30 years you can't do stuff 30 20 years if you don't do that I actually wake up at 224. And so the next level of everybody's success is a math problem. So this is the only reason why I'm stopping on this point. Look at the difference between four and 224. And I'm not condoning for anybody to do that. The reason why I get up that early is because that's how long my morning routine takes for me to wake up that early and to be done at 6 a.m. Because that's when the kids wake up for me to be present, to get them ready for school, take them to school, watch TV, make them breakfast, because I want to have that family time. So that's why I wake up that early. But the difference of, we'll just call it 2.30 to 4 is 90 minutes. Yep. Every 30 minutes, because everybody makes the excuse, I don't have time. And what I've learned is time and sacrifice, when I take them back, I win more. And so every 30 minutes, 
times five days in a week is two and a half hours. Four weeks in a month is 10 hours. 10 hours is a work day times 12 months in a year is an extra 12 days. So by waking up 30 minutes earlier, you get an extra 12 days a year. Me waking up the difference between four and 2.30 is an extra 36 days. Most people work 18 to 20 days. So I'm working 14 months when most people are working 12 months. By the way, a key to, hey, I'd like to get up earlier, is I recommend that you start in 15-minute increments weekly. You nailed it. Right? So if you're a 6.30 waker, get up at 6.15 for a week, then get up at 6, then get up, and you'll find that it's much easier than going, we've all done that. I'm a 6.30, I'm getting up at 4 now, and you know, you're just gassed by 2 o'clock every day, and then you can't do it. So it's breaking it down over time. So let me ask you about this person listening right now, because you guys, now you're getting why I wanted Ben on and why I want you to have his book, because we can go in so many different directions. But I'm listening today, I'm driving to my car, I'm on the treadmill, I'm watching it on YouTube. And I'm at a stage in my life where, you know what, you guys both have me really inspired right now. And I'm willing to make some sacrifices. But I'm in a slump. And or I'm a little bit just as at a loss, like I relationship just ended or a business I had is not so good. Or, you know, the last 18 months has sort of just hit me really, really hard. And I'd like to start again today. I know. And by the way, everybody, you can just start again today. I don't care if you've started 1100 different other times, you can start again, right? You have my permission and Ben's permission. Start again. I don't care if you started again, January 1st, you started again last summer, start again. But if I'm starting again, where do I do Ben? But if you're starting again, you have to start, you know, let's take, let's take 75 hard as an example, right? Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people, they think, oh, well, I tried it and I failed. You really only failed if you don't try again, right? Mm -hmm. If you just say, oh, I tried it, I'm never going to, and I'm not saying everybody has to do 75 hard, but my point is that's what happens. People try something once and they never try again. Yeah. The failure of not trying again is actually worse than maybe the beer that you decided to drink with your friends and then you couldn't check the box and and you miss 75 hard. Yes. And so to me, I think you bring up a great point. You have to have a willingness to start again. And so we actually in the book, and I've been sharing this for 15 years, I call it a prize fighter day. And it breaks down what are the things that you need to do personally, professionally, and in your service to others every day. And when you do those things, you win. Hmm. And we all know what those things are, but we choose to not do them. So if you're in a season of life where it's been challenging, to Ed's point, just like he believed in me and shared that, and now I put it in front of me every day, he just spoke that into you. Stop where you are and let's build right now for you. Stop. What do you need to do personally, professionally, and of service? I need to eat right and I need to break a sweat. Get a workout in. You don't have to train like Ed, but break a sweat. Number two, you may say in sales, when I perform at my highest level, I got to make, I call them points of contact rather than phone calls, text message, email, phone call. I got to make 20 points of contact. That's when I know I'm giving my best. Okay. That's your, your business. Mm -hmm. The service, which John Wooden used to say, can't have a great day until you've done something for somebody else with no expectation or anything in return, mm -hmm. do something for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you mean to tell me that you can't wake up tomorrow, get a workout in, eat right, make the phone calls, text messages that you're supposed to make that's going to make you successful and do something good for somebody. And so I think people have been conditioned in the world that when you fail, at least I tried. I think by not starting again, that's way worse than the falling short that you already experienced. Believe in yourself and go back to the attack because everything you need is already in you. God's given it to you, but you got to choose to take it. And sometimes he puts you through pain and failure and challenge 
because he recognizes you need to find your greatest strength. Oh my gosh, Ben. That's one of those replay it right there. Everybody rewind and listen to what he just said again. You said something about God there, which is amazing because as you were talking, I had this calling on my heart because you said about this book that you and I both love earlier. And I'm just curious for you uh, how important faith has been in your life. And then also, is that a common trait in most of the leaders you know, that they have some faith, whatever that faith is, and that um, you know perhaps they're willing even to pro proclaim it. I'm just curious if that was any of the, some of the things uncommon leaders have. Well, so here, here's what's actually pretty, pretty interesting. The, the book releases, and all of a sudden it shoots right to the top. It's the number one Christian leadership book, and it's actually maintained number one Christian leadership book. That's awesome. Since the, since the book came out a week ago, it, it, it stays there. And it, the publisher didn't even select that as a category for the book, That's yet there, awesome. are, there, Amen. There, are th there are three chapters in the book that strongly reference the beliefs from a Christian-based platform that some of the leaders have, one of which is our dear friend, John Gordon. John has actually mentored me since 2008. He led me to Christ. We're both born Jewish individuals that accepted Christ later on in life. So we're Jews for Jesus. That's why you like me, because I'm duly protected. You know, you'll be all right. And so there's this strong faith-based <laughs> message. But yes, many leaders have it. It's not a prerequisite for leadership, but you do find that it's very common. And those strong leaders, even a Dabo Sweeney, right, who it's fun for John and I because he's worked with Dabo for 10 I years. I worked with Coach Saban for four years. Now we go head to head. Yeah. But Dabo doesn't hide his faith. You know, a lot of leaders, they're, they're comfortable that you don't have to agree with me, but I'm going to help you understand where I stand in life. And in the book, it definitely, it, it's there. And there's a prayer that John shared with me yes. at the end of his chapter. That you got to let people know where you stand. They don't have to agree with you. But as a leader, don't be fearful of letting people know where you stand. Oh my gosh. I believe that so strongly. And, and I'm so glad you said it the way you said it. And of course, you know that John's become a dear friend of mine. And I obviously guys, I, what I feel like is if you do have faith, that it will help explain to people your moral and some of your standards that you, that you live by. And at the same time, it's a, it's a way of defining who you are and what you believe in and what you stand for. There is a way to say, Hey, this is what I believe in and not say it in a judgmental or preachy way. I'd like to think that I sort of nuance that relatively well, that people know where I stand, yet I love everybody, believe in everybody, but I think you kind of know where I stand on stuff. And so I, I just want to encourage everybody. That's why I asked Ben the question. How often when you speak, and, and look, when you and I go to speak oftentimes, right, mm -hmm. as much as we'd like to say, this is where I stand, sometimes yes. it's in our contracts, no politics, no religion. Yes. Yes. How many times do people still come up to you and say, are you a man of faith, Ed? All the time, almost, I would say almost every single time. And that that's to your point that you just yeah. expressed is that you yeah. believe it in such a way that you show up with this conviction. You don't have to say, I'm blessed. You don't have to read a Bible verse. People yeah. know it's in your heart. They know it's in my heart. And the other thing I want to share with everyone listening to this, if I'm an example of one thing, it's that God uses flawed people. And, and I think Ben would raise his hand and say this as well, that I think you all need to know that I make mistakes every day. So does Ben. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, by the way, everybody. And I, I just want you to not think that because you're not perfect, that you can't win because if you make mistakes, you can't win. I think oftentimes people think this mistake, this decision, this judgment, this thought I have disqualifies me from being successful. I'm going to be punished with failure because I'm human. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. You're not going to be punished with failure because you're a human being who makes mistakes. But having a faith that allows you to reflect and uh, maybe even repent to some extent or grow in it is a wonderful experience to have when you do make those mistakes, is what I would say to everybody listening to this. All right, final question for you. I wanted to draw a distinction on leadership for a minute. So you've been around great coaches who you've named leaders, business and otherwise. You've also, and so have I, been around business leaders that weren't so great, or coaches that weren't so great. And so without naming them, what's the, what are some of the biggest differences between the great ones and the ones that you go, wow, this culture here, uh-oh, big problem. What do you see? If this, and there's probably some subtle things that will be invisible to most people. What are those differences? I was with a leader. I've never told this story. And, and you know, sometimes somebody asks a question, it hits you. Yeah. I would, this was probably 10 years ago. Yeah. And I was being, maybe even longer than that, interviewed for an opportunity to speak. And it was a, a top five accounting firm. And I was with the leader of the firm and we're in his office and we were talking. And he kept referring to our, our, our. And then I saw on his light switch, it said, my versus our. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, in our culture, he goes, you never hear people say my, my client, my assistant, my this, my that. He said, everything is our, they're our clients. It's our company. It's our team. A member of our team will be reaching out to you. And I learned a really powerful lesson because it stopped me in my tracks. At that period of time in my career, I would have said, my assistant is going to reach out to you. And nobody does this with any ill intention, but I don't own my assistant, right? I don't own this member of my team. And so what I learned from him that day was the power of our, and he took it further. He said, when you speak, your team listens. So if I say my this and my that, well, that's my client. I did it by myself. If I say our team has an incredible client that we love working with, and our team always works as hard as we can to deliver for that client. It's completely different what the team hears. And so it was this my versus our. I've never shared that in an interview. But those are the little things that you learn on this journey where you're paying attention that make a significant difference. What a remarkable conversation we've had. <laughs> there's, literally, there's literally not one wasted second. And probably my favorite thing is the last thing that you just said for me. Because I have a tendency to say my this, my that, and I'm going to be more of an hour focused and verbal guy. I think I think that way, but I don't think I always talk that way. Play, I hope you're still here, everybody, because if you just missed that, I feel so bad. <laughs> and if you know people who missed it, tell them to come back and listen to the end of the interview. You said Coach Wooden talked about service every day. He'd be proud of you. You served a lot of people. You served several million people today with this, this conversation with me. It's remarkable, man. So good. I'm so proud of you and I love you and I'm 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 so grateful you're in my life. And I want everybody to go get Uncommon Leadership by Ben Newman and this crazy dude who wrote the foreword. I think you'll enjoy it. So so Ben yeah, I, brother, I, I just want you to know I love you, the influence on my life. It's an it's an everyday influence and uh, I appreciate it and it means so much to me. And I appreciate the opportunity to spend this time with you and all your listeners. We're all grateful for you, brother. Hey, everybody, you know the deal. Share it. Fastest growing show on planet Earth. We, by the way, got some big announcements about that coming in the next few weeks. But listen, share the show. If you're watching YouTube, go subscribe to an audio platform, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, 
Pandora, whatever, Cirrus. And if you listen to audio, go subscribe to YouTube. I've got additional content there. All right, everybody. God bless you and Max out. This is the Ed Milet Show. We are the